Thank you, Brother Greg, and it has been a delightful week for me, maybe not for you, but uh, I hope it has been, and uh, we have enjoyed being in California, and uh, we have just put up with and endured your weather. I had to leave upper 90s and humidities in 75, 80, 85 percent to come out here and freeze. This is terrible. I'm going to be carrying a burden home for you guys, asking God to help you endure all this hideous weather. My, my, how do you all put up with it? Amen. All these earthquakes and bad weather and and mudslides and all that stuff. I don't know how you all live out here, but we do pray for you. I mean, I'm going to go home to my mosquitoes and tornadoes and suffocating heat and talk about how good it is to live in Oklahoma. Praise God. I'm almost as deluded as some of you are. You know, there was a worm one time that was raised in a jar of horseradish. Somehow or another, I guess an egg got laid in that horseradish and this worm that's all he knew and he thought it was the best stuff in the world and I guess that's how all of us tend to be whatever it is that wherever we came from that's uh, that's what we like I mean I know some guys here that thinks Mississippi's an awesome place and that's pathetic but they do Well, maybe that's what Paul had in mind. He said he was determined in whatever state he was in. There with to be content. <laughs> so whenever California falls off in the water, be sure and have your life jacket on. And then uh, you all can move to Oklahoma. I don't think we're going to fall in the water anytime soon. Amen. But we've had a good time, haven't we? Amen. I've enjoyed being here. And uh, everybody's been so wonderful. And you kids have just greatly impressed me with your zeal and your love for God and your hunger for God. And... Um, I hope that God will allow me to say something today that will help stoke the fires of desire and faith and help you to be a better Christian, help you to get more engaged in this great battle that we're all involved in. And I want to say a big thank you to all the pastors and ministers that were involved in putting this meeting together, all the workers. I want to thank you for your hospitality and, and a nice, comfortable room and all the amenities that you provided to make our stay enjoyable. I regret my wife had to return home early. She's flying out today and uh, had a situation arise that required her attendance. And, uh, and so she had to go back home early, but I'm glad she was able to be with me for the time that she was. 
Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Won't you turn to somebody and say, let's have church today. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. I hope it bleeds through. I hope it's evident. I hope it's obvious. But even though I frown sometimes when I'm preaching and all that, I really, really, really love young people. And uh, I thank God for you good apostolic young people that have the Holy Ghost and have a desire to live for God. Uh, You're our future. But you are more than our future. You are a big part of what God desires to do in the church today. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me. If you don't sign on to revival... If the youth group in any church does not sign on to revival, there will be no revival in that church. That's the life. That's the vitality. That's the energy of the church. And when the young people do not sign on to a move of God, when they do not desire revival and pursue that, when they're all caught up in other things, There will be no revival in that church. And I'm going to say this. Are you listening? Everyone, every youth group represented here in this this, uh, week of, uh, of camp, if you would go home fired up, prayed up, stirred up about revival and begin to pursue it, you could be the cause of great revival breaking out in your local church. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over. Praise God. As far as far as stirring churches up to revival, I think probably, I think probably I'd rather be preaching to you about revival and get you on fire. And uh, I think that would be the thing that would fire up your church when you get home. How many of you want to see good revival in your churches at home? Let's start by having one in our youth group. Amen. If you haven't had your revival yet this week, let's have it today and tonight. And let's leave here with our hearts on fire for God. Praise God. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, I would like to ask you to turn there, if you would, for our scripture reading, our text today, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Again, I've enjoyed sharing this pulpit with my good friend, Brother Davis, and uh, love and appreciate uh, this good man of God. And he has blessed us. He has helped us. He has ministered to us. My, that was so powerful last night and so right and so timely. And uh, I'm looking forward, anxiously looking forward to hearing good testimonies about all the things that God accomplished last night. And not just what happened last night, but what he started last night. That was not a service that was an end in and of itself. That was the beginning of something that God wants to birth in our hearts and lives. First Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. 
And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. If you've got a small youth group, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Isn't it great to have a friend that's going to stand beside you and say, I agree with you. We can do it. Praise God. Then said Jonathan, here's our plan. Behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. Remember that, that expression there, we will discover ourselves unto them. We might want to talk about that a little bit later. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand and this shall be a sign unto us. Now, they didn't say that if they say, wait till we get to you, we're going to. Know that that means defeat and we're going to run back home. No, we're going to stand our ground and engage them right here. But if they say, come on up, we're going to take that as a sign that we're going to win and we're going to go up there and uh, we're going to, we're going to whip up on them. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines and the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan, his armor bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, said, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Praise God. Now, what I want to preach about here for a little while today is going to be a little different than what we've had the past three mornings. And I feel like this is the note that God wants me to end my contribution to this camp on. I want to preach to you today on this subject, youth on the offensive. Youth on the offensive. Let's give the Lord some praise together right now. Come on. Lift your voices and your hearts. Amen. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I praise you. I worship you, God. Visit with us today. Help us today. Give us a mighty move of your spirit, God. Set our souls on fire. Anoint us. And God, I ask you somehow to unleash the potential of this youth group today for revival and for evangelism and for the forwarding of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to begin by saying this morning that it is time... For our apostolic youth to overcome the intimidation of Satan. It's time for you to become militant against the forces of hell. Amen. How many is tired of the devil pushing you around? 
How many is tired of the devil intimidating you and telling you that you are going to backslide, that you are a failure, that you're not going to be able to make it? How many is tired of that? Amen. It's time to push back. It's time to fight back. It's time for us to overcome the intimidation of Satan and, and rise up and become militant against the forces of hell. I believe I'm talking to someone here this morning that's tired of the devil paralyzing you with fear and, and, and telling you that you're a loser and that you're bound to lose. I'm telling you, he loves, he loves, he loves to bring up our past mistakes and our failures and smear it in our face. But one thing I've learned about the devil through the years is that he is just a big old bully that likes to pick on the weak and the sickly. That's right. He likes to pick on children and old women. That's who he likes to pick on. That's the kind of a bully that he is. And the devil also knows that if you ever stand up to him and call his bluff, he's going to lose. He knows that. Amen. He's not able to defeat us. In fact, I've heard, I can't verify this, but I think maybe it is true, that when the devil takes a nap, he always wakes up in a cold sweat. Because all he can dream about is nightmare that keeps coming, recurring over and over and over. Is it somehow or another that the apostolic young people are going to wake up and realize they can overcome him. And he's scared to death that's going to happen. He's really nervous about it. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's altogether true. But I do know that it's a great probability because the Bible says... Thou knowest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also know and tremble. So how many knows that the devil has a nervous problem? Amen. And if you really want to see him shake, then just go ahead and hey, there's one God every once in a while. Hallelujah, there's one God. And the devil goes. <laughs> how many of you ever seen one of those fainting goats? You ever seen a fainting goat? How many? Raise your hand. Just a few people. There is a breed of goat. And if you just uh, around them and you go, boo, you go, kook. <laughs> Honestly, they will. It's the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. Then when they get back up again, then you can do it again. <laughs> Great entertainment. Great entertainment. <laughs> wouldn't do for me to have one. I'd wear that dude out. <laughs> the kind I've had always, you go boo at them and they duck their head and boom, they run into you and butt you with their horns. So anyway, I'd rather have a fainting goat. But the devil, the devil is afraid of what you have. And his greatest fear is that you are going to one day figure out that he cannot stop you from living for God. That he cannot stop you from working for God. That he cannot stop you in any area of your life. He's afraid that you are going to discover that uh, truth. And uh, he knows that you have power over him through the name of Jesus. These signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. And one of the things they're going to do is even cast out devils. 
That doesn't sound like that we have a whole lot to be afraid of. Amen. The book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9 talking about the name of Jesus. It said, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus. Everybody say the name of Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to stop just a moment because we need to get a hold of that. The name of Jesus is more than a magic word. Amen. This young man right here in the blue shirt, would you stand up in the glasses? Yes, you please. What, what, what was your name? You told me, remind me again. Layton? Clayton, 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 right, I remember now. Clayton, uh, whenever, if you're in a group and I said, hey, Clayton, that's not a magic word. Why would I holler at your name? Get your attention. Come here. I want to talk to you. Okay, thank you, Clayton. When we say, Jesus, you know what we're saying? Jesus, I need your help. Come help me. It's not a magic word. It is an appeal. You said you'd never leave me. You said you'd never forsake me. You said you're as close as a mention of your name. And when I call on the name of Jesus, I'm not just saying that like, Jesus. Something's going to fall over. No, no, no. I'm calling on the name of Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, I need your assistance here for just a little bit. Amen. Praise God. If you get a hold of that and realize that when you say Jesus, he comes to your aid. He comes to help you. He is as close as the mention of his name. And so God hath highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name. And here's how powerful it is. Every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It may not be magic, but it's powerful. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. If you learn the power in the name of Jesus and faith that when you call upon him, he is there. You can call on his name. I don't care what the temptation is. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what you're going through. You can call on the name of Jesus in faith and he's always there to help you. We, we, we just don't realize sometimes what happens when we say the name of Jesus. One time I had a, a very unusual experience that uh, you know, uh, we, we pray and, and we don't realize sometimes what all prayer sets off in the, in the realm of the spirit. I mean, I can take a rock and, and there's a pool of water and it's calm and still and I can throw that uh, rock into the water and the water begins to ripple. How many of you have ever done that? Those little circles? 
Amen. I think they call them concentric circles. Look like a target, you know. It just stirs everything up. And you know, we don't see into the spirit realm unless God opens our eyes. You know, Elisha's servant was right there beside him and he was, uh, he was uh, calling uh, fire down from heaven and, and uh, all kinds of things. But, but this little servant, when, when, when they first come up there, man, he was scared to death. Oh God, what are we going to do? And God said, or Elisha said, God opened his eyes. God opened his eyes and he saw the heavens filled with chariots of fire and horsemen and all kinds of, of, uh, of the forces of heaven that had, was waiting, was waiting to fight their battle. And when he saw what was there ready to help him and he saw what's down here coming after him, he said, they're not even a match. One time, I just want to tell you, just share this one little deal with you. One time I was praying for a man who had heart trouble. And, uh, and I put one hand on his chest and, and I had the other hand on his head. And I began uh, to come against, I felt led to pray against the spirit of infirmity. And I said, you spirit of infirmity, I bind you in Jesus' name. I take authority over you. And about that time, God opened my spiritual eyesight. And I saw a figure in this man's chest and I could tell by the shape of it. It was kind of like a dark silhouette, but it was very distinct in shape. And I could tell that it was a spirit. And when I said, I take authority over you in the name of Jesus, he dropped down on his knees and put his face in his hands like this and crouched all the way to the ground, bowed over. And I realized right then that's what happens when we call on the name of Jesus. Every knee has to bow. Praise God. Every tongue has to confess. And it was as though God was teaching me something right then. And I felt led of the spirit. And I, I realized I have authority over that spirit and control through the name of Jesus. And I spoke to that spirit and said, I command you to leave this body and don't return. And I literally saw him leave out and God healed that man. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it's not happening. When you call on the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. When I was a child, I had, uh, uh, I had the great fortune of a, a lady in our church that a uh, single mother raised four children alone. When her children were small, her husband abandoned her. And that was in a day and time when w- women hardly ever, ever worked out of the home. That was not the norm. And, uh, and when uh, uh, there were not career opportunities for women, she worked in a little five and dime store and just eked out a living and maybe clean for people and things like that. Without any child support, she raised these four children in church. And she was very active and involved. And she taught what they called back then children's church. And on Sunday evening, we all came an hour early and that's when they had youth service and when they had children's church. And upstairs in an auditorium, they were having youth service. And downstairs in the basement, we were having children's church. 
The woman's name was Sister Fern Grisham. If you know of the preacher uh, that's pretty well known throughout Pentecost, Brother Charles Grisham, that was his mother. Sister Fern Grisham was a very positive uh, person, a very upbeat and and uh, a very friendly, open person. And uh, she was uh, such a personality that people were drawn to her. And she had to use public transportation to get around most of the time. So she's always meeting people on the bus. And uh, they would just gravitate to her. And they would tell her their problems. And she would bring them to children's church. And she would say, now children, you all have the Holy Ghost. And God hears your prayers. You don't have to be an adult for God to hear your prayers. And she said, I met this lady yesterday on the bus and, and she's going through this and this problem or she's got this sickness or her son or her daughter. She just, she'd, she'd bring those prayer requests to us children. And she said, I told that lady or I told that person that we have a prayer group. I have a prayer group of children that knows how to pray and believes God. And we would go to prayer about that need. And I'm telling you, we would uh, we learn that children can pray. And we'd get a hold of God and pray and pray and cry and ask God to heal or ask God to deliver. And a few days she would come back and say, oh, I've got a great testimony. And she would tell us about what God had done for this person. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be old to be used of God. Amen. You can be a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old prayer warrior. I've seen God use children. Praise God. One time our church, our pastor was going through this very difficult time. And, and we had been in what we would call a spiritual drought. And the devil was fighting so hard and things were so tight. And I would get up and try to preach and it felt like I was trying to eat dry popcorn while I'm preaching. And every now and then a mouthful of feathers to go along with it. Just to make sure it was dry enough. And I'm just struggling and struggling and praying and praying. And what am I going to do? And what am I going to do? And I'm near the end of a sermon. And I'm just so frustrated. And I stop and I said, God, you've got to help me. And about that time, a little 10-year-old boy popped up on the front seat and took a step forward. And he opened his mouth and gave forth one of the most powerful messages in tongues that I've ever heard. It just shook the place. And someone else interpreted it. And the place just, I mean, you talk about a spiritual breakthrough. And it came by a 10-year-old boy that had the Holy Ghost that yielded himself to God and allowed God to speak through him. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And so age is no problem to God. And the devil knows, even if you are a child, if you have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and have a heart filled with faith, that you can speak the name of Jesus against him and he has to flee. And he does not want you to discover that. You see, young people, the power that dwells in you 
is greater than the power of the devil. I don't care how big you think he is. I don't care how powerful you think he is. I want you to understand before you walk out of here today that the spirit of the Holy Ghost that dwells inside of you is greater than he is. You go ahead and make him as big as you want to. But the Holy Ghost that dwells in you is bigger than the devil. First John 4 and 4. Ye are of God, old people. No, I read it wrong. You are of God, adults. Here's what it says. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You've got what it takes to overcome the devil. You've got what it takes to successfully live for God. You've got what it takes to be a prayer warrior. You've got what it takes to be a leader in worship. You've got what it takes to be effective in evangelism. You've got what it takes to bring revival to your church. Don't you be intimidated. Quit listening to the lie of the devil. It's time for you to realize that I am a full fledged child of God I'm not some junior member in the body of Christ but I had the same Holy Ghost that adults have I had the same name I could call on I've got the same name on me through water baptism and faith in his name and I don't have to take a seat to the a back seat to the devil praise God Praise God. But you know, this intimidation, fear factor, and tactic has been around for a long, long time. There's no sense of abandoning something if it's working. And the devil has perfected this technique, and it has worked so well for him for so many centuries Yea, thousands of years, that he just keeps on using it. And the only good thing I can say about it is that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. That word actually means stratagems or strategies. His MO, mode of operation. We're not ignorant of his traps, his methods, his ways. And... So, I'm here to inform another generation that this is how the devil works. This is how he's always worked. And also to show you, amen, that in every generation, there have been young people that have gotten a hold of the truth that I'm preaching to you today, that we have a power working with us that's greater than the intimidation of the devil. And in every generation, there are young people that get a hold of this truth. There are young people that become, amen, uh, uh, assertive and go on the offense against hell. And I'm saying it might as well be you. It might as well be your youth group. It might as well be you young people here on the West Coast. Why don't you be a leader in what I'm preaching about? Why don't somebody get a hold of this? Amen. And put it to practice and see what God will do for you. Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord. 
Praise God. Now in our scripture text, let me give you a little background here. This is interesting side note. Boy, I really want to scratch this itch, but I better not. I'm just going to drop a little deal here. This is for preachers only. Everybody say, oh, he's going to preach to the preachers. Okay, say that. I am, but just for just for one minute, and I'm coming back because y'all are more important to me right now than these preachers. They they they're pre- they're very very important, but right now my focus is on you. Okay, here's the deal. I noticed that when Samuel anointed Saul, the words he said over him was not "I'm anointing you to be king of Israel," but he said "I'm anointing you to be captain over the host." Of Israel. He was anointed to be a warrior. And he was commissioned to lead God's people to victory. And upon that charge and commitment, he called all of the men of Israel together, put an army together, and went out and whipped up on a bunch of their enemies. And he was so successful that when he came home, The people anointed him to be their king. And from that day forward, he was more concerned about the office that the people gave him than he was about the anointing that was put upon him to fight the battles for and lead the battle for God's people. And from that time on, somebody else always had to step up to the plate and be the go-to guy to bring victory to Israel because Saul was more caught up in posturing and worrying about what the people would say and whether he would lose his following or position or not. We have to be so careful about not getting our priorities mixed up. The important thing is what God called us to do. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. But Saul was anointed to be captain over God's host and to lead God's people to victory. And and this was a time when they needed a man of God to lead them. They needed somebody that uh, was aggressive and full of faith and and somebody that uh, wasn't afraid, amen, to step out and do something for God. And they were so hopeful because this first time out, Saul had led them so effectively. But it was a time of great oppression and uh, this Philistines uh, uh, that lived in her borders were such aggressive people and such cruel people and they were a fierce warmongering people you know uh, all the other nations around them were noted for producing uh, wool or, or flax or or, or or cattle or or uh, uh, iron or some other kind of commodity uh, that would benefit not only them but they could use it to trade to other people and, and they were supplying things for one another but not the philistines the philistines were known for going in and taking from other people what they had worked so hard for they were cruel they were aggressive they were fierce 
uh, they, they were destructive. They thought nothing of killing and maiming and, and so forth and so on. And, and, and so they developed this name of being this fierce, fierce people. And when they were coming in, and, and they were so noted for the brutality that these uh, peaceable, uh, peace-loving and peace-abiding people would just kind of capitulate to them. What do you want? Here it is. Take it. Rather you take this than, than destroy us, burn our cities. And so uh, that's what the Philistines were known for. They were known for brutality and rage upon these peace-abiding people. And now they had the nation of Israel in their sights. And every time they looked up, here they were. And so they come back again. And in our scripture text, they actually had put together a three-pronged attack against the nation of Israel. And uh, that right there shows they were very skillful uh, military strategists. They knew they knew just how to do. They didn't just come out there in one body, but they had three separate uh, arms of this army that was coming against them from every direction. And Saul had his little group of men together. And, uh, and they were, you know, armed for battle, but they weren't really ready for battle. They didn't have a heart or stomach for battle. And uh, they found a comfortable place out here. And there must, uh, I don't know how big pomegranate trees get, but this must have been a big one because they were lounging around. And uh, I guess you'd say loitering, just uh, just laying around doing nothing under this pomegranate tree. And, and so uh, it's time to go to battle, but uh, they didn't want to engage in the fight. They were kind of in this posture right here like a lot of us get sometimes. You know, if the devil leave me alone, I'm going to leave him alone. You know what I'm saying? Everything's peaceful. He ain't bothered me. I'm not going to bother him. It's almost like we get into this little agreement. I'm going to tell you something. That may work for a little while. But while you're uh, just sitting there taking it easy, the devil is working and scheming and getting ready for when he comes after you to annihilate you. I've learned we don't ever get up, give up uh, or let up on the devil. You ever get the devil on the run, you better stay after him. And, and, and so uh, this, this is what was going on. Uh, the enemy was ready to destroy them. And the enemy had a stronghold. They had a, a place uh, of safety that they could retreat into. And it's up in the hills and, and up in the rocks. And, and it was difficult to get up there. And just uh, two or three men could keep an army from advancing up to their stronghold. And so they felt very, very comfortable. And that's where they would plan and strategize and rest. And then they would launch uh, their battle uh, from that uh, place of strength. But Saul and his armies out here under this uh, pomegranate tree. And, and, and so uh, uh, here's what's going on. Uh, there's uh, a lot of intimidation. And, and, uh, and Saul was uh, saying, well, you know, we're just kind of waiting here on the Lord. And, and when the Lord gets ready, we're going to move. But the real issue was this, that they were really intimidated. They were afraid to engage the enemy. You see, God was ready to give them the victory, but he had to find somebody willing to engage the devil. I'm going to tell you something. You're never going to have revival as long as you're content just to stay within your little group. You've got to break out of some things. You've got to get tired of the same old seven and six. 
the same old, same old. Amen. If you keep doing what you've always done, guess what you're going to have? You've all heard the old cliche, it's wore out, but we need to consider it. Amen. If you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you're going to still be in the same shape that you're in. You're going to come back next next year and nothing has really changed if you even make it back next year. But if you'll wake up and say, hey, I'm tired of being the way that I've always been and things being like it's always been and I'm ready for a change and I'm going to break out. Then you'll come back with victory in your soul next year. You'll come back with a couple of young people sitting beside you that God to helped you to win to him this coming year. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So here's what's going on. Same old tactics the devil's using against our young people today, against all of our churches. Hell had launched a campaign of terror and intimidation. You see, the devil uses psychological warfare so effectively. If he can destroy your will to fight, you never engage. He never even has to fight you. You never get involved. I'm going to tell you, being a victor is as much mental as it is physical strength and skill. You can get two people equally matched in a boxing ring. One of them has a winner's attitude. And the other one has a loser's attitude. Guess who's going to win? The one with the right attitude. I've seen guys that had a winner's attitude that wasn't as good as their opponent, but they still won. Because a good part of the game is mental. In any great sporting events, the big stars of the world, whether it be tennis stars or basketball or football or whatever, and I don't spend a lot of time, I don't spend any time following that. I've got better things to think about. But I'm just saying, the ones that are really good, you know what makes them a cut better than everyone else? It's mental. Not only do they have the skills, but they have the mental power. They believe in what they're doing. They have a winner's attitude. They go into that game expecting to win, not to lose. That's why they get so angry if they don't win and break their rackets and throw fits and knock things around. And if some reporter puts a mic in their face, they're liable to shove it back in his face because they're not geared for losing. Their whole life revolves around winning. And the difference between a young person that's on fire for God and winning this great fight Amen for truth and is living in victory. The difference between them and you is probably just attitude. The devil's convinced you you can't do it and he hasn't been able to convince them yet. Hallelujah. So they don't know any better. They just go on winning because they have a winner's attitude. Amen. And, and, and the most difficult person in the world to defeat and anything you get involved in is somebody that has a winner's attitude. You may be better than them, but you better be mentally strong or they're going to come out the winner before it's over with. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This man, Gideon. Gideon was a great uh, potential to be a great warrior. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and and uh, uh, there he is hiding behind the wine press and he's trying to get a little wheat 
together and he's going to hide it because the Midianites is going to come and take it away from him. That's another group of, of enemies similar to the Philistines. Not the same group, but same tactics. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and called him a mighty man of valor. He said, mistaken identity, sir. He said, I'm no mighty man of valor. If you've ever, ever seen anybody in your Bible with the loser's attitude, the guy's name was Gideon. And you know what Gideon said? He said, my father's house is a part of the smallest tribe in Israel. And my father's house is the least in our tribe. And he said, in my father's house, I'm the least of everybody in my family. Why are you calling me a mighty man of valor? He said, I am the least of the least of the least of the least. And this was not humility. This was a loser's attitude. And the angel said, hey, God wants to use you. Oh, God can't use me. Yeah, God wants to use you. So, I mean... For most of us, if an angel appeared to us and said, hey, how you doing, you mighty man of valor, you, you wonderful uh, uh, woman of faith and, and victory and all God's hands on you, we'd just say, well, hallelujah, God's fixing to use me. But not Gideon. He said, oh, how do I know if this is true or not? So you remember how he put out the fleeces three times and reluctantly, reluctantly then became a leader. But at least he finally got there. And I feel like I'm having to do the same thing to some of you. I'm just going to have to keep pounding at you and pounding at you until you finally say, hey, if Gideon, who was a loser in his mind, could finally get his act together, maybe I can get mine together. And he did become that mighty warrior because God knew what his potential was. Amen. What about the 10 spies uh, uh, along with the 12 that, uh, that went in to uh, spy out uh, the uh, Canaan land? And 10 of them come back and say, oh, it's a fierce land. It's a fierce people. There's giants in the land. Research it out. There was a family or two of giants. But the way they come out there carrying on and a crying and a wailing, you would have thought everybody in that country was a giant. They couldn't see nothing but the giants. And the two men come out with a good report carrying a big old bunch of grapes on a, on a big old staff between them that they could hardly carry. Man, I'm telling you, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Man, it's there for the taking. The terror of the Lord is upon the inhabitants. We can go in. It's ours. Let's go get it. They said, no, 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 no. Man, there's giants. There's giants there. Giants. Said, these guys are so big that in our sight, we're just like grasshoppers in comparison. And buddy, that's, that's some big people. I mean, if I got Brother Clayton to be my friend again, and if he's just a grasshopper compared to a guy, how are we going to get him in this building? We'd have to rip out all those doors to get this guy in here. His head would be sticking up through the grid. 
if he made Clayton look like a grasshopper. In their minds, everybody say in their minds. In their imagination, that's how big these guys were. That's how powerful they were. And as long as you've got the devil and your adversaries and the worldly pressures and the worldly friends and all of these things, you've got them so blown up out of proportion in your mind and you're this little bitty grasshopper, you're never going to win the victory that I'm talking about today. But if somehow or another you can get an understanding and a revelation that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, you're going to walk out of here with a winner's attitude. You're going to walk out of here with a heart filled with faith. You're going to walk out of here with the real victory. And you're going to keep it. And you're going to come back next year with the victory. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So... What about this guy, Goliath? What about him? He's a pretty big old boy. Man, he was impressive. He was big. He had this huge physique. He had this booming voice. Man, his armor. Did you know? A normal-sized man couldn't even pick up his coat of armor that he wore to battle. His spear was so big that the handle of it was like a weaver's beam. Big old huge thing like this, 10 or 12 feet long. It gives the weight of the head of that. And I'm telling you, can you imagine? There ain't a man here today that could... Pick that 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 uh, sword or or that spear up and 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 probably lift it up like that. I'm telling you, so heavy. You put it on into that shaft, you couldn't probably get your hand around to start with. If you could, I doubt you could just bring it up. And this guy brings that to. That's what he's going to fight you with. And you can't even pick it up. And he's got a, a he's got a sword that's so big that the main, an average person can't even pick it up. If you're gonna go to a sword fight, don't take one that's so heavy you can't get the tip of it off the ground. <laughs> it may intimidate them for a while, the size of it. But it probably won't when they see you dragging. What are you going to do with that thing? I'm going to cut your head off. What do you expect to do? Come over and lay down and say. In our fair city, this guy is a candidate uh, to be deported to California. You know what he did? This happened in, about a month ago. He, they had some home invaders. And they come in armed, three men with, with handguns. And they begin to rob these people in their home. There was a couple of guys and one woman in there. And this one guy scampered upstairs and he had a sword in that room and he got that sword. 
And he came down there and he stabbed one of those robbers with the sword. But you don't take swords to a gunfight. And they shot that dude. And I, I had a hard time grieving over him. I thought, you know what? We don't need him to have any kids like him. Can you imagine going to a gunfight with a sword? That's what this guy did. I don't think he was born in Oklahoma, though. Surely not. I hope I find out he wasn't. But anyway, if he was, we don't have to worry about any more just like him. Praise God. But this man had this giant sword. He had this big shield. He had this big gleaming coat of mail, they call it. And he's whipped every foe that he's ever come up against. And while you're standing there looking at that huge, huge spear that you're thinking, I don't even know if I could, I could pick that thing up. That's heavier than my barbells are. He's just throwing that thing around and waving it at you. Come on out here. I'm going to poke this thing all the way through you. I'm going to barbecue you. I'm going to hang you over the fire on the end of my spear. And if you miss that, I'm going to cut you in half with my sword. So when he said, send me a man to fight, all of a sudden, all the men disappeared. Nobody wanted to take him on. He didn't even have to engage on the battlefield. He whipped way more people with his mouth than he ever did with that giant sword and spear. And the devil has defeated way more apostolic young people with his bullying ways and his intimidation and his mouth than he ever has really whipped that engaged him in the fight. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. I've been looking at this in my Bible. I can't find one instance where God's people engaged the enemy and they didn't win. The only time is when they were in disobedience. But every time they were living right and engaged the enemy, every single time God gave them the victory. I don't care how overwhelming the odds were. I don't care how many there was. I don't care how, how, how great and powerful and, and reputation they had. Every time they engaged the enemy, God gave them the victory. So here's the deal, and I'm, I'm, I'm hastening to a close. I'm going to be through here in about five minutes or so. Numerically, the Philistines had the advantage. Position-wise, the Philistines had the advantage. Armor-wise, they had the advantage. And the reason why is they controlled. There was no blacksmiths in Israel, and they had to go and get their uh, farming instruments Sharpened by the Philistines. Philistines wouldn't let them have any blacksmith. So they weren't able to sharpen swords and spears and, and, and create, uh, weapons. So they were, they were weapon wise. The Philistines were much better positioned to win. 
That didn't seem to bother a young man by the name of Jonathan. How many of you have ever eaten a pomegranate? Aren't they wonderful? I mean, I wish I had enough to just pass them around here today and just give everybody a pomegranate and we could all just pucker up and look at his... Oh. Come on, don't tell me that's your favorite fruit. If it is, I don't even want to get in. That's far enough. That's as well as I want to get to know you. <laughs> There's a lot of fruits better than pomegranates. But I can see Saul sitting around, sucking on a pomegranate. No wonder he got in such a foul mood after a while. Now, if you mix it with something else and do something else with it, it might be all right. But just an old pomegranate, peel that old tough hide off and what do you do with all those seeds y'all grow them out here we don't grow them in Oklahoma we don't even like them we grow persimmons out there we don't like them either but we grow them there <laughs> I tell you what they're good for they're good for for uh, fighting with the neighborhood kids that's what they're good for <laughs> and the greener they are the better they are Pomegranate sitting around something. Jonathan said to his arm bearer, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of this pomegranate diet. I'm sick of just sitting around saying, we're going to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. He said, hey, hey, are you, is your heart with me? Yeah, I'm with you. He said, let's, let's, let's go engage them. He said, let's go after them. I believe God will give us the victory. Praise God. And his armor bearer said, hey, I'm with you. My heart is with your heart. Come on. We're partners in crime. Let's go. So when they got over there, Jonathan said, now look, look, we got to have a battle strategy. I love his strategy because here's how it worked. It wasn't like if this happens, we'll fight him. And if this don't happen, we won't fight him. His strategy was if this happens, we'll fight him. And if this happens, we'll fight him. He said, whatever they say or do, we'll know it's God's will for us to fight them. <laughs> and then this, this discovery clause, discovery. He said, what we're going to do is we're going to go up there where that little narrow path is up to that stronghold. And we're going to discover ourselves to them. Now, if you do a little study on that, that discover, it not only meant they're going to come out there and say, hi, guys, how you doing? But it means they're going to come out there in a defiant posture. Now, let me ask you this. What, what is going to happen if you go out here where a bunch of gangbangers are hanging out and you drive by with your window rolled down and you stick your head out the window and you start calling them a bunch of racial slurs and you start talking about what a bunch of, of, uh, of punks they are. Do you think they would get mildly annoyed? <laughs> about halfway through, you would feel a hot burning sensation passing through your body. <laughs> and if you're still conscious, it's time to give your heart to God because they just got the rest of you.
I almost feel like making a confession here. Should I make it or not? This is horrible. I'll tell you what, I'll do it on one condition, one condition. All of you have to promise you won't tell anybody. Come on, raise your hand. Now, I ain't going to tell you. There's too many of you not raising your hand. I'm watching one, two, three, four, fifth row. There's a boy right there that's not raising his hand. Yeah, the one that just looked around to see who it was that wasn't raising her hand. That's you. If y'all can get him to raise his hand, I'll tell it. <laughs> they about broke his arm. He got it up. Okay, now listen. Y'all, please, please pray for me, okay? But I told you I went to Christian school, didn't I, when I was a kid? Yeah, I think I mentioned that. Well, back in that day time, most families did good to have one car, and Daddy had to take it to work. So they ran a school bus for those that didn't have a way to get to the Christian school. So we got this school bus with the, uh, uh, the name of the church on the side of this bus. And, uh, oh, this is terrible. I ought not to tell this. I already, he raised his hand, so it's his fault. Wish you'd have hung with it now. I'm wanting out of this, but I'm in it too deep. But my best friend, I, he, he showed me how to do something, a gesture. And, uh, but he failed to tell me what it meant. All I'm going to say is that it wasn't trying to say you was one year old. And I practiced that gesture till I had it down really, really good. I could do it with both hands at the same time. So while we were... <laughs> <while> <laughs> While our church bus was driving down the road, I was practicing some of the sign language I had learned. I was innocent, honestly. Because if I wasn't, what I'm fixing to tell you, if you're doubting it, this proves it. There were some boys, probably three or four or five years older than me, several of them. Right there where we get off the bus and we had to walk home about three quarters of a mile from there through a residential area. And so as we come pulling up to the bus stop, I tried my sign language out on them. I thought it meant I love you. <laughs> or something along that line. No malice. Hey guys, how y'all doing, you know? And when I got off the bus, these guys come after me. Buddy, they chased me. I mean, I ran like a scared rabbit. I cut through places I knew, you know, under the fence, over the fence, around the house, through the bushes. Every time I look up, there's guys after me. Finally, I get home, scared to death. Boy, I, guys, that is, they just trying to kill me. What'd you say to him? I didn't say nothing. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's all ready to go down there and defend his innocent little son. And I said, the only thing I did was just waved at him. 
<laughs> what do you think the Philistines are going to do when you go up there hurling insults at them? And that discovering themselves to them, they literally come out there and said, hey, you bunch of sissies, you don't know how to fight. If you were real men, you'd come down here, you're scared. You think we're scared of you? That's why they answered and said, oh, looky there. The little Israelites have crawled out of their holes where they've been living like a bunch of little scared rabbits. And Jonathan said, hey, did you hear that? That's our sign. <laughs> I like that, don't you? Hey, did you hear that? They're insulting us. Did you hear that? They said, hey, if you want some of what we got, come on up here and we'll give it to you. He said, God's fixing to give us the victory. You heard what they said. That was the prearranged signal. Come on, let's go get them. It was so steep, they had to climb up on all fours. How in the world did they get up there without the enemy throwing rocks down on them or dumping hot tar or something? I'll tell you how they got up there. They're in shock. They can't believe these scaredy cat Israelites has been hiding and running from them for all these days. Two of them, just two of them is coming up there after me. Said, My God, are these real people? <laughs> Surely that's not what we're seeing. Hey, hey, come here, come here, come here. What is this? Look at this. They studied a little bit too long. Because Jonathan come in and just started bowling them over like a bowling ball. And his armor bearer come in behind him and everything he knocked down and wounded, he was finishing it off. In just a little bit, they had uh, cleared out an area of about a half acre and there was 20 corpses laying there. And they went after the others and they got in such a panic, they began running and bumping into each other and pulling out their swords. And after a little bit, they were just whacking each other. Whack, 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 stab, stab. They... And, and people was dying everywhere, mayhem, confusion, and all that. How did all that get started? Two guys decided we're going to engage the enemy. It's time, it's time for some young people to stand up against the devil and go on the offensive. It's time for your youth group to go on the offensive. What are you intimidated about? What are you scared of? Let's stand. I'm telling you young people, it's time to get aggressive about prayer and having a prayer life. It's time to get aggressive about worship. It's time to get aggressive about evangelism. Pastor friend of mine, just this summer, just a few weeks ago, I saw his son. He's 15 years old. He's a real stocky, short kid. And uh, there's quite a story behind this. He's an adopted son. And I actually had somebody turn that child over to me to find a home for him. And, uh, and I placed him in that home. And, and they adopted him. Now he's 15 years old. 
And boy's a bright kid. I mean, he was a little bitty guy. And he still remembers in vivid detail when I picked him up and what I said and what we did and everything else till I got him to the ones that adopted him. Remembers every little detail about it. His name is Austin. And his mama told me just the other day, I said, how's Austin doing? Doing great, you know. And, and uh, he come walking up, how you doing, buddy? And hugged him and visited with him a little bit. And, and he had to go through that time. You know, he, he had to relive that moment. But anyway, Austin decided that he wanted to teach a Bible study. He wanted to teach somebody a Bible study. And there's a group of guys just from the neighborhood that hang around the church and come over and play ball, shoot a few hoops, knock a ball around, play catch or something. And Austin knows him, you know, he gets out there and plays ball and stuff with him. And he got him a Bible study chart and he went out there and I believe it was either, he had like five or six or seven of these boys that committed to a Bible study. And he's meeting with them on a regular basis this summer and teaching a good group of teenage boys a Bible study. Is that something, is that something that only Austin can do? Or is that something that probably just about anybody could do if they decided they really wanted to do it? But you know, some of you are too intimidated to do that. If the truth was known, there's no telling how many of you young people here today would like to teach a Bible study. How many of you would like to win somebody to the Lord? How many of you would like to be a soul winner? Raise your hand. How many really, really would like to win a soul to God this year? Well, this is almost unanimous. Well, why don't we do it? Well, don't know how to go about asking them. I don't know how to find somebody. And what if they say no? I know. I understand. I hate the giants of rejection and, and I hate the giants of fear and unbelief and intimidation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what if we were to engage fear, intimidation, unbelief? What if we were, what if we were to engage and confront and challenge those spirits that's been holding us back from what God wants us to be for a long, long time. I'm talking to some young people right now. I'm talking to some right now that you have wanted to do something for God for a long, long time. It's not a lack of desire. You're a good young person. You love the Lord. You have a desire to do something for God, but you just can't get over the hump. You just can't get past that intimidation. You're just, oh, the devil, don't tell him what all he's told you he's going to do to you, what's going to happen, but you're tired of it. And you're ready to engage him. We're going to start with prayer and then we're going to go home and we're going to start doing the thing that God has put in your heart, what you wanted to do for years. You tired of being intimidated? Praise God.
have to leave here like you came. You don't have to leave camp like you came. Somebody that's wanted to do something for God for a long, 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 long time, but you've never been able to engage. You've never been able uh, to pull the trigger. Step out in the aisle right now. Step out in the aisle. Don't come up front. Just step out. I don't want to get it too crowded up here just yet. Come on, step out. Say, hey, you've been preaching to me all morning. That's me. Yeah, some of your friends may be looking at you right now and saying, what are they doing out in that aisle? See, that's some of the intimidation you're going to have to overcome. It's called peer pressure. But somebody's going to have to be the first one in your youth group to step out and engage the enemy. And it might as well be you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, walk to this front now with faith in your heart. Come on up here as close as you can get around this front. Praise God. Come on, lift your hands. Challenge. Challenge those spirits that have been intimidating you for a long time. Listen to me. I'm going to give you some instruction. Would you listen to me just a moment? Listen to me just a moment. I want you to name the thing that has been holding you back. If it's fear, I want you to name it. If it's unbelief, I want you to name it. If it's peer pressure, I want you to name it. And here's how I want you to pray. You spirit of fear, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I command you to leave me and quit tormenting me. In the name of Jesus, I command fear to go from this youth group right now. Your spirit of fear, you spirit of fear, I bind you. I rebuke you. I command you to quit tormenting these young people right now. You spirit that uses the intimidation of peer pressure. Deliver these young people from the intimidation of peer pressure today, God. Deliver them from unbelief. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to be used of you, God. I want to do something for you. I want to be a, a mighty prayer warrior. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be a worshiper.